I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. non-monogamous dynamics, it's often easy to assume that sex is going to be the only thing on the table, especially if that's the communication that happens ahead of time. It's going to be sex, it's going to be fun, but a lot of times emotions seep in and bubble over in some instances. We're going to talk about a recent experience that we had in which that happened and our reactions from it, the learning lessons, etc. Before we get to that though, we want to uh, share a sex in the news. Brian, you actually don't even know what I'm sharing and I think this is so interesting. The article is called Why Do Men Report Having More Sex Partners Than Women? It's by Justin Laymiller with the Kinsey Institute. I absolutely love his research. We've talked about him before on our show. And I think this uh, particular research that was done is so fascinating. So a new study that was published in the Journal of Sex Research offers insight as to why men report having more sexual partners than women. So before we actually get into the reasons for that gender gap, do you want to guess how many partners men reported having on average? Now, these are heterosexual men. Of what age? Of any age. Well, that's going to vary then. Just during their lifetime. The the complete average. The average number of partners men have in their lifetime. No, that they have reported having when they are surveyed. But what I'm saying is their ages vary. Okay, so I don't know. 10. It's 14. Okay. And women report having seven. So basically double men for women, right? Right. Which I think is so fascinating. So first of all, kind of made me feel... Well, who's telling the truth and who's not? That's the question. That's the first question that pops in my mind. Who's more honest? Okay. And why? That's that's not what the research suggests, actually, but... (laughs) Well, someone has to be telling the truth, right? It's actually a difference in perception in the way that men's brains think about sex versus women. How could you not get that number right? You either know how many partners you had. It can't be that complicated. It actually is. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I have absolutely no idea how many partners I had, so it's impossible for me to say. That's kind of my point. And how many would you guess? Oh, we've had this conversation. <laughs> a lot. Okay, the point is a lot. Okay, so my point is you don't know exactly how many people you've had sex with during your life. I know the exact number. And it's not because I've had sex with fewer people. It's because I have kept count over time. This study shows that women are significantly more likely to actually count their partners when they're asked the question of how many times people they've had sex with. So they're actually going through and going, okay, there was John, there was Michael, there was So you get the mental role of that. Versus men provide just an estimate. They're not going through and counting. They also said that men were likely to answer four times faster than women when surveyed. See, that's strange because I couldn't, I mean, if you ask me for a hard number, as you know, it's impossible for me to tell you that. I don't, I don't have a clue. So for me, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm an outsider or, or an outlier there. I can't do that. But okay, let me ask you this. You know exactly how many men you've slept with, not people necessarily, but men in this case. Yes. Since even since we've been uh, we've we've been playing in the ethical non-monogamous space for the last two and a half years, because we know a hundred percent that you've had sex with more men since you and I have been together than prior to us getting together. Yes. Right. So what's the number? I'm not saying. I'm not going to say on here. Okay. A lady doesn't tell. And I'm not being surveyed. But my point (laughs) is, I can go back through and count. Okay, it was this person, this person, this person, this person. And that's the way my mind thinks when I'm reporting how many sexual partners I've had. The vast majority of men do not do that. They just throw out an estimate. And the survey or the research goes on to ask these men to actually list out their partners. And they're able to name significantly fewer than 14 on average so either they're shooting higher they're estimating higher than is reality or for sure they are it's also possible that they're just having sex with more people and therefore it's difficult for them to remember exactly who they're having yeah well you imagine me sitting down and trying to write down for you all the i mean it's not it's 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 a laughable thought i couldn't possibly do it so there's no way so if you had to ask me if you were you were the researcher and you were asking me that question i would have to Think for a few minutes and, you know, go through my head. It, it, it would be a number that would, it would be a, a guesstimation. There's right. no way that I could do that. So let me ask this question. So right now, you believe that you know how many men you've slept with to date. Yes. What about a year from now? Do you think you're going to be able to know that number? 
I don't know. I think it's a little bit different for non-monogamous people because we tend to have a lot more partners. I mean, when I saw 14 and 7, I was kind of shocked by that. In what way? That seems incredibly low to me. Seven people? Okay, well, let let me play devil's advocate. So, of course, I come from the world of adult entertainment. A lot of people know that. I had a lot of partners in my day. I happen to know people, however, that, you know, guys have been friends of mine since high school that have had one partner. They married their high school sweetheart, never stepped out on them. They never had another partner. I know a lot more people like that than I do like me. I think part of that, though, is where you grew up because you grew up in a very Italian rich community. And I think that it's far more likely for people in the Italian culture to kind of settle down and get married young and only more have a religious one. bend as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of Catholic influence. That's yeah. not necessarily, I wouldn't think anyway, a, a sample of, you know, the United States as a whole or the no. world as a whole. I can, th- I mean, just now that you're, we're talking about this, I can think back to a time in my life where I was having sex with three or four women a day. Oh, so I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking about, so you'd get to seven in two days. <laughs> oh, listen, I, okay. Let's, well, let's be fair. Okay. By the time I graduated high school, I had probably had 10 different partners. Right. So, you know, there's no way for me to... I couldn't calculate that number. I just lived a very different life as it pertained to, you know, sex. Right. But I even have vanilla friends, females, who I know for a fact have had more than seven partners. I just feel like that's very low. And I, I don't know. I guess I was a little bit surprised by it. But yeah, when you talk about averages, you talk about the fact that there are people out there who have had one or zero sexual partners. Well, I imagine there's a lot of things that that play into that question, right? So how old are you? Where did you grow up? What have you done for a living? Did you go to college? I think all those things play a play a role. So I also want to talk about one last element of the research or at least the hypothesis of the research that came out that I found so fascinating. It talked about the fact that women are likely to report fewer sexual partners than they actually wrote down. So for example, if they flip side from the men, if they're being asked to write down the names of the people that they have had sex with, they are more likely to write down more names than they initially said that they had had sex with. And I think that that speaks to probably, if I had to guess, a more, a larger societal issue with women that we are expected to be more, not virginal, but more kind of pristine and demure. And we're not expected to be these sexual creatures. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there was a movie. I, I, something sticking in my head about the rule of threes. Like if a woman tells you she had sex with whatever number, you multiply it by three. I think that's and if Amer- a guy, it's American Pie. Is that what it is? Yeah. If a guy tells you that, you, you divide it by three and yeah. it's, 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 it's a third. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, it's, I don't know. There's probably some truth to it, right? I mean, guys, I don't know. I guess there was a time, maybe it's still a time, I don't know, where men want women. And we're talking obviously about heteronormative folks at the moment, but... Men want women to believe, for whatever reason, that they are far more experienced sexually, right? They have a, sexu- a higher sexual IQ. Right. And by that, they tell, you know, they would say they had more partners than they actually did. And when a woman would say that she had less because she doesn't want to come off as slutty, right? That kind of thing. Well, it's the flip side of the stereotype of women being demure creatures that shouldn't just be going out and sleeping with everyone is that men who have sex with a lot of partners are seen as having vitality and they're exciting and they're able to pleasure women more or better, I should say. All of these different qualities that you think of when you think of a man that's been with a lot of partners. So I think that both sides of the scale, to be fair, are probably being tilted or tainted because of the societal pressures that are put on different genders. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So I think it's unfortunate. And I think uh, hopefully studies like this will get people to start talking more about these types of things. And and also, you know, maybe looking in a mirror and going, okay, are you really being honest about how many sexual partners you've, you've had? And if you're somehow not proud of it or if you feel some sort of shame because of it, I mean, why? Well, I don't feel any shame because I, I mean, I wouldn't change anything I, I did in my life necessarily that, that all led me to, to you and to where I am. Definitely not proud of some of that, but certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm an extreme case, I guess. Is it fair to say that you are not ashamed by the number of people you've been with, but you're ashamed of some of the hundred percent, some of the individual yes. experiences? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Now, some I I revel in because they were amazing experiences, and I'm very fortunate to have had them. But yes, I'm probably ashamed of more of them than not. Yeah, I would well. think. I mean, you know, in retrospect, you, you live and learn, you grow up, you figure yeah, it out. Yeah. In retrospect, it wasn't a wasn't wasn't great, which is ironic now, right? When you consider our dynamic, 
are, are you know, ethically non-monogamous dynamic. You have far more play partners than I do. Yeah. And I don't desire, I don't have a huge desire to go down that road necessarily unless there is a mutual benefit to both you and I. And so it's a little, no, my life is different. My, my mindset is different. Now. Well, you're also, to be fair, 50 years old. Damn sure am. And, you know, I mean, I'm kind of coming up on my sexual peak. And so, yeah, yeah of course, I'm going to want to have sex more often. I, I think my sex drive has just skyrocketed in the last couple of years. For and sure. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think the fact that I have more sexual partners than you is something I'm not proud of, but I'm totally okay with. My sex drive is definitely indicative of yours. I have a much higher sex drive, sex drive I think, than, a, than most guys in my, my age bracket, well, of course. for sure. However, I think that if it if it weren't for our relationship and our dynamic and our lives and ethical non-monogamy, I might not be as sexually active as I as I am. Oh, I don't think you would be. Yeah. I mean, j- just judging by the fact that I'm always the one that's kind of like initiating and touching you and like... <laughs> well, let's be fair. You're super worked up all the time. All you the time. Constant. You are in constant sex mode. If it was up to me, I'd have sex with you four times a day. 100%. And that's just not where you're at. <laughs> That's well, okay. Yeah, it's not even it's not even that it's not where I'm at necessarily. It's just that you're you're working overtime. Your hormones are working overtime. Yeah. You know, I I'm not necessarily in that place. But if it weren't for us being in the relationship that we're in and the way we live our lives, I would probably be having a lot less sex. Yeah. And it would and it might be just okay with me because the truth is you know, uh, prior to you and I, I had enough that I could have just lived off the memories. So, uh, you know, and, and part of part of my, I think my my lack of drive or what would be my lack of drive to have more sex if it wasn't for our relationship is just that, that I was so active in my younger years, in my youth, that it was like, I just don't, I don't want to be that person again, or I didn't want to be that person again, you know? Well, so, I think you probably had a lot of pretty meaningless interactions oh, just yeah. based on some stories you've told me. Yeah, 70, 70% probably completely meaningless. And I also think that's why our non-monogamous journey now works or why our dynamic works because we don't really have meaningless sex. It's pretty rare for us to right. just hook up with people. And both of us like enjoying the other person's company. And I think for, I would guess for you, part of that is because you've done it the other way so much yeah. and you just realized that it didn't provide the same level of pleasure or Much fulfillment. Different. Yeah. For me, it's funny because as we talk about a lot now, I am far more concerned or interested in the connection and the chemistry, whether it doesn't matter who it is, male or female or right. uh, non-binary, whatever. Very, very unlikely that I would be interested in having some level of indiscriminate sex with someone I don't know. Right. It's, it's so far out of my, my thought process at this point where Many years ago, that would not have necessarily been the case. If you were offering and willing, I was in. So it's a very different thing. I'm, de- I'm just definitely definitely in a very different place. Yeah. But interesting well, uh, subject. I agree. I liked it. I think what you just said leads or segues perfectly into our discussion today, which is this concept of obviously we have been non-monogamous in terms of having an open relationship for a while now. Yes. We have also, if you guys have listened to past episodes of ours, we've, we've started diving into the world of polyamory or at least wrapping our heads around the concept of us being a polyamorous couple. And it's really interesting kind of having a foot in both worlds because they are so different in yeah. terms of the way that you have to wrap your head around them, the conversations you and I have about them, that when they kind of get jumbled together, it can create a lot of confusion. Well, there's definitely a lot to cover in terms of the physical, and I think more importantly, as of late, the emotional. Before we get into that, we need to thank our partners at altplayground.net. Absolutely. Alt Playground is an amazing place to find non-monogamous adventures, whether you are polyamorous, a swinger couple, you have an open relationship, or you're just a sex-positive single. No matter what, you're going to find people to connect with there, so head on over to altplayground.net today. Check out their plethora of resources, including the podcast corner, video corner, and communities from some of your favorite content creators, clubs, and event hosts. We know that you'll love it as much as we do. Absolutely. So, so <laughs> where do we begin with this conversation? Well, I think it's I think it's important that we talk about what's happened the most recently, the past two two weeks or so. Okay. My my last experience with my friend Amy, who I had been seeing now for a while. Relationships started out, as many of you know, 
a very physical relationship. It was simply a sexual based, sexuality based relationship. Right. Um, she is a, a, a gal that is in an open marriage and is uh, was looking to explore a little bit inside of their relationship, or I should say outside of their relationship. And so our getting together was based solely on the physical. That's, right. That's really what it boiled down to. And as we'll talk about, as time went on, that changed a little bit, particularly for Amy. Things got a little bit more emotional for her. Right. Which has definitely happened with past play partners as well. I think there's been a very blurred line between those two worlds. And what's interesting is we started out as only a non-monogamous couple, right? We were, we were not polyamorous. We never expected to be polyamorous until about a year ago when we really started having those conversations. And I will say things were a lot less complicated when we were simply a hot wife and swinger couple because it was almost as if this very clear boundary was set. When I would go play with somebody, if there was anything that felt overly intimate, I would remove myself. We would talk about it, but I would remove that intimate element. None of my behavior towards any of my play partners would signal that I wanted to be romantic with them. And it was done on purpose because I assumed, as did you, that that is where the line was going to always stay for us, right? It was always going to be about sex. It was not going to be about emotions. But there were times even then with other play partners where they would be a little bit emotional with me. They would do things that I deemed intimate, like kissing me on the forehead or really long embraces as I'm coming to their home or I'm leaving their home. Things that you associate with a romantic interest versus a purely sexual interest. Yeah, even if it was a situation where it was cuddling after sex kind of thing or um, you know, the kind of innocuous touching that goes on between a couple, whether you're engaged in sex or it's after sex or before sex, you know, kind of during that flirty period. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of the physical that, that comes into play that eventually turns emotional or can turn emotional. And I think it's, I mean, especially when you're starting out in the world of non-monogamy, if you plan to just have sex with other people and not date other people... I mean, that's often a rule for couples, right? If if anything feels overly intimate, you need to cut it off right then and there. It is not okay. You need to dump it and it needs to be about the sex. And I think that's great if you plan to only be sexual with people. I also think it's slightly unrealistic. (laughs) Well, it's just like the, the rule that a lot of people have that we have met. We don't typically play with folks that have an inordinate amount of rules because it's difficult for us due to our relationship. But we have come across couples particularly who don't kiss, for example, with anybody other than their partner. Right. For that reason, they feel like that's just too intimate. Or that it will lead to more deep feelings, yeah, right? It'll deepen the emotional connection. I guess I can see that from from you know their perspective. For us, that just doesn't make sense. No, no. It, uh, to me, intimate kissing isn't intimate. I kiss people all the time. Yeah, there's far more <laughs> intimate, I think, acts you can you can take part in. But again, that's a preference. And that but that's a reason there is a reason for people that you know why they do that. And I think a big part of it is because they don't want it to get into that emotional space. Well here's another one that I think we had for a long time and we talk to couples who have this rule all the time as a way of avoiding intimacy is no pet names, right? Right. The other person can't call you baby or sweetie or you know, muffin or anything like that. Pumpkin, whatever. Yeah. Those types of things are reserved for your partner as a way of building a wall, an emotional wall between you and the people you're having sex with. Yeah. And and listen, we had a lot of those rules in the beginning as well, like a lot of couples do. And I think like a lot of couples, as time goes on and you spend more time in that space and your, your journey continues and you grow as a couple, those rules simply fell by the wayside until we got to the point where we are right now, which we have very few rules. It's They are revolved around safety and respect. That That's really the bulk of where we sit in terms of rules. You have, you know, you go out on dates solo. I go out on dates solo. We have had poly type relationships uh, between us. And so those rules have kind of gone away. A lot of them have. However, from my perspective, you, we and I don't have those rules, or I should say don't need those rules anymore, because what we've realized is we had those rules in place for the wrong reasons. I think we put them in place as precautions. Safeguards. They were, it was, yeah, it was absolutely, a, you know, some, some safety measures, right? 
we didn't want anyone to kind of get in our space and we were concerned that maybe our feelings would change for each other or that we wouldn't want to be in the space anymore because of all this extraneous emotional baggage that we seem to be collecting. Yeah, it forced us back into a, a monogamous relationship out of fear or right. resentment. Yeah. And, and what has turned out to be the case, at least for me, I won't answer for you, I'll let you answer it. For me, the whole idea of those rules, they were arbitrary, honestly, looking back. But the reason I think that they no longer exist is because through all of these experiences, we realize that we were really holding ourselves back. We don't, there's never going to be a time where anyone's going to come between us, quote unquote, as a, as a couple. What we're looking to do is enhance what we've already got. Right. And I think our relationship is so intense and our compatibility is so, so on point we found that the only way to enhance what we already have organically is to have other relationships that we can share with one another. Right. So those rules were really just in place, you know, to begin with, as I said, as a precaution, right? They were, you know, we were baby stepping this thing a little bit probably. And not that there's anything wrong with no, that. No, I think it's important to do that in the beginning. We tell people all the time, the more rules and precautions you put in place, the better because you can't undo certain things, right? right. Well, to a certain extent. Some people take yeah. it a little extreme. For sure. Yeah, let's, yeah. I mean, if you're getting, if you've got so many rules in place that, that you've just kind of sucked the fun out of the, of <laughs> The experience and we've seen that before yeah you, you're you're telling the other people you're going to play with your litany of rules and their eyes are rolling well, into the back of their head if you've yeah. got so many of them that you truly cannot remember them because we've met people like that as well and they're like oh we i broke rule number 56 i totally forgot about like <laughs> you know you've got to you, you kind of got to get out of your own way a little bit right but you put the rules in place that make the most sense and no harm in that and i think as time goes on if you're anything like us you will find that you're going to become a lot more comfortable with a lot less of those constraints. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I completely agree with you on that, that we, it's interesting because I was reading an article the other day and I had shared it with you of, there's a new theory out there that is currently being researched that people have a predisposition to be polyamorous. Not the same as like a sexual orientation, obviously, but but more so a, a predisposition to end up in that type of dynamic. And it's based on a plethora of different things, but a lot of it is a chemical makeup in your brain or at least the ability to open your mind to things that would allow you to be polyamorous. And I think in some ways you and I were kind of meant to get to this spot. But this particular situation that you had mentioned kind of at the top of this topic with your long-term play partner, this woman that you played with for, for a few months, was a really good example of just because you're stepping into that world or just because we're open to things happening doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all, right? It doesn't right. mean that everything is just on the table all the time. There doesn't need to be a, a communication about it. Uh, there doesn't need to be compromises made. That's not the case. And this was a really good reminder of that for us, I think. Yeah, because this, this relationship between myself and my friend was not based on polyamory. It wasn't based on the idea of, uh, of an open kind of relationship, open door policy kind of thing. This was a sexual connection that we had. What ended up happening, of course, as a little bit time has went on, she became very emotionally attached to the relationship. And there were some red flags. And in hindsight, as we discussed on our other show, I should have seen some of those things because you and I discussed them. As I as I experienced them, I shared them with you. And we kind of chalked them up to a new relationship, a new new experience for her. We called it new relationship energy, which yeah. if you guys aren't familiar, Dan Savage is my hero. He t coined that term. And it's this concept of when you start seeing someone new, you're automatically going to have this electricity between you, right? This magnetism to that person because it's all of this energy kind of coming together for the first time between two different people. Right. And it's really, really exciting. It's and powerful. It can kind of burn you if you don't recognize it and take it seriously. And you got to get it under control and you need to recognize it pretty early on if, if you can. And I think that's what happened in this situation. And what we're referring to in terms of my relationship uh, with Amy is because it didn't start out with the pretense of it being poly in any way, it got a little uncomfortable because the direction it was going was more of an emotional as opposed to physical connection, particularly for you, because there was a level of you feeling a little bit disrespected because it wasn't something that was communicated to you, not because I didn't communicate it to you, it simply wasn't communicated at all. Let me explain that. I think 
we talked about you have been seeing another woman and it's been more of a polyamorous relationship. In right. fact, it hasn't been sexual in nature at all. No. It's been emotional in nature. You guys are spending time having dinner together. You're talking very in depth about, you know, your past and your experiences and the things that you're passionate about. And because I know that that is the dynamic that you two have decided upon and you and I have talked about it and agreed for you to go down that road. Oh, and, I, and I should say you very enthusiastically. I mean, you're a hundred percent on board so the the fact that this conversation that we're having is doesn't seem like you're on board with or at least it would lend itself to that you really are we're both on board with each of us being you know polyamorous and having those external relationships when it's conveyed that way and when everyone is on the same page with it i think that's what's important i think what i'm learning very quickly not that i'm learning it i i've kind of always known it but at least what i'm now experiencing on a very deep level is polyamory is about complete transparency right it's about everyone knowing what's going on it's about everyone understanding what is being developed in terms of relationships and emotions it's about you and i constantly communicating about the future of it and how i feel about it and all of those things and i think what what happened was as I mentioned before, it was like we started to have two different feet in two different worlds with this particular play partner. You were being very sexual with her and I loved that. I'm very turned on by the idea of you being with someone else sexually. And so I'm feeding off of that. And all of a sudden it's like this right hook to the face of hearing that she's all of a sudden saying she needs you, she wants to be near you, she's cuddling with you a lot after sex. And I'm going, these two don't feel like they're necessarily matching up and and I wasn't talked to about it at all. Yeah, they're two different worlds. And the thing that really kind of, it was a, a shock to the system for me because she and I had not had that conversation. And these were things that were happening in the moment. They were happening happening organically and and often. And every time it would happen, I would, I would think to myself, well, again, just, just caught up in the moment. This is still new. It's still exciting. And you can only use that excuse for so long. And then it's like, well, this isn't that new anymore. We've seen each other quite a bit. And it seems to be intensifying. Right. You know, and that's that's kind of where we got toward the end of, uh, of this relationship. Now, I should also say that we are leaving soon. So so this was a this had a time limit anyway between Amy and I, and she knew that. But I did feel like we needed to slow it down very recently because of some of the things that were happening between us. It was no longer a sexual desire for her to to see me. It was a need that she had that she would express to me. I need to be near you. I you know I need to have you near me kind of thing. I wasn't prepared for that coming from her. Right. And so after the last time she and I saw each other, we had this kind of digital conversation about where this was going. And she did you know concede to the fact that she may have been a little bit too far out there on the ledge. And things had gotten away from her a little bit and taking some time away and getting some perspective was the best idea. And that's what we've done. So, of course, I'll see her and say goodbye to her, but strictly on a vanilla basis. Uh, but the sexual component, I think, of our relationship obviously has is, is come to an end, mainly because it, it transcended the sex. Right. And that, that was kind of the issue. And again... If those ideals are laid out in the beginning, if there are parameters and the, and the and even if the potentiality, right? Even if I said to you, "Hey, I'm going to start seeing this gal, you know, as a she's going to be a sex partner essentially." But there is the possibility that down the road this could turn into some kind of polyamorous type situation because we're both she's also on that same page. At least that groundwork would have already been laid and and the way that she and I progressed would have been different because you would have been far more involved. Right. Not from a sexual component necessarily, but you would have been far more involved with her. You would have gotten to know her more. We would all have spent more time together to make sure that there was a, a mesh, you know, that, that we all gelled. But because that wasn't part of the original conversation or, or ever a conversation, you know, things got a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think it begs the question of where is the boundary? It's it's funny because it's like we've, we've eliminated all of these boundaries to get to this point. And now I'm realizing that some of those boundaries still need to be in place. If it's going to be a sexual dynamic only, those boundaries have to be set and they have to be talked about between you and I, and then we have to go to our separate partners and explain those boundaries. But that begs the question, how do you know that somebody is always going to remain a sexual partner? And if you're limiting or setting these boundaries, are you limiting your ability to move forward with them on a different level? Where's the line? Yeah. And well, that's it. It has to be clearly identified. And, you know, as we sit here and I think back, 
And of course, hindsight being what it is. I think back to when Amy and I first started seeing each other. She's relatively shy, obviously. And this was a new experience uh, for her anyway. So I give her a lot of leeway, you know, a wide berth to be comfortable with what she needed. And if you remember early on, she was very concerned about the idea that you might even be in the house when she and I were together. So you were never around. You would make, you know, you'd go to the gym or do whatever you needed to do while she and I were together to give us that time. And it wasn't until we got closer to the end where that became less of an issue for her. And what that tells me is that she was so eager to be in my company that she and I were together. She was almost, she overlooked it. Like she had gotten past it to the degree that it was no longer even an issue. And while that's, you would think that it's somehow liberating, right? Where she got to the point where she was able to be herself and be comfortable, whether you were in the house or not. For me, I would think that if she were going in that direction, or if we were a polyamorous, potentially a polyamorous couple going in that direction, it would have been a situation where she would say, maybe I need to talk to Brenna. Let's, I would like to have a conversation with her about how she feels about me being here and her being here at the same time. And, you know, there would have been a little bit more dialogue about that. But in hindsight, what it seems like to me is she just stopped caring. Interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, it just occurred to me, you know, because very early on, very, very steadfast about, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't want to, I don't want her to hear me. And, you know, that kind of thing that just went away. Right. Uh, Literally, and I'll, I'll give an example. The last time she and I were together in our home, you were in the next room in our office doing work. Right. And it didn't affect her at all. Right. So, in fact, it was... To, it was the most intense session we had had to that to that point. So, yeah, I think that after a while, it's just like cautions thrown to the wind and a complete disregard for the original guidelines kind of thing. And that should have been an indication, right? That should have been an indicator, I think. Well, I think it was. I think the fact that we were just able to vocalize it in that way is, uh, you know, that's something that took some time, but I think even right afterwards we realized it was kind of an issue. But I mean, my original question still stands, which is, do we place boundaries around sexual partners? Do we only engage with people that we could potentially develop feelings for? Like, where do we go from here? What's the plan? No, you know, we have a very different life uh, set ahead of us at this point. We are obviously going to be taking the show very literally on the road. In fact, a week from today, we will be on the road and we're going to be traveling, doing some traveling uh, as much as we can with uh, the world we're currently living in. So we're going to be coming into contact with people who from different places and different, uh, you know, have different concepts of ethical non-monogamy. And we're super excited about the opportunities that are, that lie ahead. So given all of that, I think we have to be open to the idea that we're going to have, and, and I think you and I just discussed this just yesterday or the day before, we're going to have different types of relationships with people. And we're going to have to navigate that in the moment, real time. We do know, however, that we will probably have some partners who are simply sexual partners. We also know that the proclivity of us becoming poly or being in polyamorous relationships, either simultaneously or separately, is very much a reality. And I think when we identify someone as a potential poly situation, a poly partner, that's when the other has to get involved right away. Sure. Now, of course, from the safety perspective, uh, we're, we're always safe with each other and, and our partners in terms of not just safe sex, but knowing where each other will be throughout the day if, they're with, if we're with somebody else and those kinds of things. I think those, that's just a given, particularly since we're going to be traveling. But when it comes to the guidelines, like the hard and fast rules, I think the big one for me is if either of us is involved with someone, even if it's just a sexual relationship to begin with, if we think for an instant that it's going beyond that, it must be brought to our, each other's attention, and then we address it right then and there and decide, do we go forward or do we not? Right. Right? I, I think that's the big, the biggest factor is we both have to be on the same page if this is truly someone that with whom we're going to have a relationship. We've already decided, I don't necessarily have to like the person that you're having sex with as long as you like that person. In fact... In the last few months, I have only met a couple of the, of your partners. Your your most recent partner, I hadn't met at all. And you actually felt like at the end, because you just said goodbye to him for the last time, you actually said to me, you know, if, if the situation were different and he were in a polyamorous relationship instead of just a you know an open sexual relationship with his partner, that you could easily see yourself having a relationship with him. Yeah. And those are the conversations we have to have when 
the opportunity presents itself. If you start to feel that way or I start to feel that way about a particular person, we need to have that conversation with each other. And then, of course, subsequently have that conversation with our prospective partners. I think there's something bigger that we need to consider here, though, which is I think and I don't think that we're alone in this at all. I think we have, there's a lot of lifestyle couples out there that can probably relate to this and have probably felt this exact same way. But I think we have a tendency to sweep things under the rug with other people, not with each other. With each other, we are very good at addressing things head on and we're very honest and open with each other. But I think we often give other people the benefit of the doubt too much possibly and as a result of that we don't necessarily address head-on the things that are going on in those dynamics i think this situation with the the lady that you're talking about amy is a perfect example of that because there were multiple times when we would be sitting down on the couch drinking coffee in the morning right after she left and you would be telling me things and i would be going okay this seems a little intimate this is this is escalating this feels like something i'm not 100% comfortable with given the dynamic but instead of you addressing that with her we would talk about it and then that's just where it would end right we we would have that quick conversation 5 or 10 minutes we'd kind of stuff it into a box and then you'd just go into another interaction with her and i've done the exact same thing with other partners so this is not just a you thing this is something that i think is uber common because it feels almost like a confrontation or I wonder with myself personally, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm almost afraid that if I bring up those intimate subjects or or we have real conversations, that that does nothing but intensify the emotions already there or they're going to get scared and they're going to run off and I'm never going to see them again. Well, either of those things are possible. For me, I think what it is is not so much, it's not an avoidance thing, but it's almost like we don't give it enough credit. I think that's what I did. I didn't lend it. You don't place enough emphasis on it. No, I didn't. I didn't give it the, the, the credit it was due because I just didn't think it was that big a deal. I just kept... Because it wasn't to you. No, I just kept kind of likening it, likening it to new experience for her. She's got, you know, it's very exciting. And, you know, so, and of course you're enjoying it. You and I enjoy the aftermath of that, the reconnection after our experiences. So you also don't want to lose that component. So yeah, I think a lot of those come into play. So if I'm correct, I think what you're saying is what we need to be is a lot more cognizant of the situations that we find ourselves in, in real time. Because we identified the red flags. 100%. And then what did we do? We put the red flags into a closet and closed the door. Well, when I kept, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it was a red flag, but maybe it's it's temporary. It's going to go away. She's going to, you know, it's kind of like a phase. Or here's another thing you and I do a lot, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to as well. We are so analytical. We are both, yeah. the two most analytical people I know are you and I. And I think a lot of times when we have these conversations and we're analyzing the situations, we have a tendency to go, yeah, but is this just us overthinking it? 100%. Is, is this us just turning something that should be fun and silly and into a puzzle that we're trying to solve. Yeah, it's a mountain to the molehill, right? I mean, it's it, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, it's very possible. However, you've got to lend you've got to lend it some credence, right? You you've got to give pay some attention to it. Well, I think this was a huge reminder to us of 100%, that lesson. 100%. And we have learned this lesson in the past. So it's not as if it was shocking to us. Well, we did. We learned it with you, not with me. Yeah, that's very true. That's you know, very we learned, true. You learned that lesson. We learned it with with one of your partners in the past. It didn't happen to me up until this point. So now, of course, we've both experienced it. We have a you know a very acute knowledge of now what to look for. Comprehensive and knowledge yeah. of this issue. Yes, and I, I don't I don't foresee it happening again. Obviously, we we are pretty good about learning our lessons, but certainly we need to be aware. And I think the 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 other thing we need to do, which we are not great at is making each other aware when one of us sees something like that. Yeah. Because I didn't do it with you because I wanted you to continue enjoying yourself. Yep. You didn't do it with me because you wanted me to continue enjoying myself. So you've got to very quickly, we have to be better at identifying the difference between those things. It wasn't just that either though. It was a certain level of like a little bit of a lack of confidence on my end or a lack of, I I guess, concern about who I am 
because I have had jealous moments in the past and I've worked through a lot of that. And I know it's kind it seems kind of like a silly thing to us. We laugh about it because if you guys know the handholding incident, we've talked about it on this show. We've talked about it multiple times on our other podcast. Brian's holding hands with another woman who he had just had sex with an hour prior. And I am bothered by that. And it became almost this running joke in our relationship. But it also made me feel bad because it was like, that's not the person I know that I am. I'm right. not that person. And I don't want you to ever feel as if you can't go do the things that you want to do because of that one instance now thankfully we as a couple have gotten past that and you have allowed yourself to date and enjoy one-on-one sex with other women without me having any sort of involvement in all of those things but there is still this part of me that goes if I verbalize to him that this feels too intimate am I somehow this jealous bitch again well, we also need to be able to identify those things, much like we did with the handholding incident. And you mentioned it to me. We talked about it, dissected it over and over and over, and figured it out, and we got past it. But it's definitely important that we bring those things to each other's attention. Right, but do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't want to be painted in that light. No, of course not. So that's why you neglected to so say anything. So I was just like, I'm just going to be quiet, and he's going to figure this out on his own. Well, there's... <laughs> Well, but we know from experience that that's not an issue for us, right? From the handholding incident, for example, we know that if there's a, an issue like that, or at least if you're feeling something, you can say, hey, don't know how I feel about that. Let's talk about it. And simply we repair it and we, we move past it. So we know instinctively we can do that. I think we just stop each other from or stop ourselves from doing it. For the reasons I outlined, you know, we don't want to interfere with somebody's good time and, you know, don't want to be that person necessarily that seems to be getting in the way, don't want to overanalyze, right. you know, all those things. But the truth is, I think the moral of this story is the communication, uh, level of communication has got to be very, very high in these situations. And we just have to identify things as they happen. We're certainly going to be in a situation as we travel now that we're going to have to be far more we have to have a lot more awareness yeah. because they're going to come at us faster and more furious. I think part of what it is too is that the whole polyamorous dynamic and us going down that road has in some ways, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, it's made us made me feel as if we need to be a little bit more independent than we've been in the past because we're very, I mean, we're so close and we spend so much time together and there is this mentality of this polyamorous part of our lives is going to be something that we kind of have to not figure out on our own but navigate a little bit on our own that's been the mentality and I think this situation was a reminder that that's not necessarily the case like just because you're dating them and I'm not doesn't mean that we're not talking about how you're navigating the relationship well the thing I think we have to keep in mind particularly right now we are going to be again traveling we're going to be together a lot right all the time (laughs) right our independence is going to become much more important. Yes. And I think as we travel down the road of, let's say, polyamory, for example, and we've talked about having the opportunity to be in bigger cities and bigger places, because obviously we live in a very small town, a very remote town, having the opportunity to be in these more open-minded environments is going to lend itself to more opportunities. And if there's, say, a meetup somewhere that you're going to attend, I don't necessarily have to attend it with you. Right. And vice versa. We need to be able to we need to be able to operate within this space independently as much as we do as a couple. Right. For all those reasons. We are thrust together, like it or not, within about 500 square feet for a period of time, you know, the better part of a year or more. So we better become accustomed to finding our independence in any way we can. Yes, while also realizing that our journeys are still very much tied together. That's my point is just because we are gaining our independence, just because we are having separate experiences, and I, I truly believe that will enrich us on so many levels, we're still a unit. We're still right. a team. And everything that impacts you impacts me, whether we mean for it to or not. Well, it's recon. Anything you do independently, you have to come back and, and kind of go over with me. Anything yeah. I do independently, I've got to come back and discuss with you. That's how this whole thing is going to work for us. That's how our journey, I think, is going to culminate. I do believe it culminates in a polyamorous uh, dynamic between either with you and, and someone else or me and someone else or the both of us with other people. I truly believe that that's where we end up in that polyamorous space. It's just a matter of how we get there. And I think we get there by experiencing our independence and bringing it back to one another 
as a couple and sharing it as a couple. Independent research, let's call it, and then bringing it back and sharing it, dissecting it, and deciding what fits. Just like a puzzle. What what fits and what doesn't. If it doesn't fit, we have to remove it. Yeah. You know, that's that's how we're going to wind up uh, winning the game of ethical non-monogamy. <laughs> it's not a game. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, game, it's a game of life for sure for us. <laughs> but it's certainly how we're going to benefit the most from the experience. Is... And I think it's how we're going to remain strong because this Amy situation, now that I'm being very honest about it, I was I was bothered by it. I really yeah. was. And there were things that you could have done to mitigate that. There were things that I could have done to mitigate that. We both have to kind of take our portion of the blame, but much more importantly, we have to make sure that we don't repeat that mistake in the future. And I think by doing exactly what we just did on this podcast, talking about it very openly and honestly, and coming up with a plan for how to be better in the future is the key to it. We can't just have these things happen and then, oh, we're moving on. We're on to the next thing and and we're not dissecting it we're not looking in the mirror at our part in all of it if you do that over and over again that's how you just dig yourself a hole where eventually you're not going to be able to to dig your way out of the hole no i think if i had to do this particular scenario again i would have probably put the brakes on at the midway point I think the second that you felt like things were getting intimate, that's when, hey, come over for coffee, but we're going to keep our clothes on and we're going to have a discussion about what's going on. I'm going to share with you my perspective and I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And I think if someone's not willing to do that, at least for me, if it were a situation where she was unwilling to do that, I think that probably would have had to, that would have ended the relationship because there has to be some understanding. You have to have that mutual understanding and 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 respect. respect. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's just a must, especially now going forward, knowing what we now know. But I don't foresee this this particular situation happening again. That is not to say others won't. We are imperfect human beings. Certainly, we'll be a lot more cognizant of it. We'll see it coming. Well, I, I also think it's a really important reminder that sometimes we feel like we've seen so much and we've experienced so much in the lifestyle. We have. We've we've done a lot of different dynamics. We've been with a lot of different types of people. We've had to develop some major interpersonal skills and communication skills. But that doesn't mean that every single time we're going to have the exact answer. And this was no. a reminder of that. And gonna, that's okay. You're not going to hit a home run every time you're up to bat. Yeah. But you do have to learn. I mean, you've got to adapt. You've got to adjust. And you have to improve, which is what we are always attempting to do. We've been in the lifestyle for the better part of three years now. We have done a tremendous amount in that period of time in terms of evolution just in our own relationships and how we've evolved together as a couple and as individuals. And when I think about where we started in comparison to where we are, it's almost hard to believe because up up until a year ago, if you, again, had said, well, we guys are going to be in a polyamorous dynamic, we would have just scoffed. It wasn't even a conversation. Uh, Then the idea of myself having regular playmates completely out of the question as far as I was concerned. I was only interested in you having playmates. And so to think about that and then consider where we are right now, we have really learned and experienced and repaired a lot. So... That's going to continue. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really excited for that. I'm excited for that portion of our of our experience together. And, uh, and also being mindful of the fact that it's not always going to be perfect. And sometimes, you know, you got to just figure that, that out. You can't, you can't expect that everything is just going to land exactly as you want it to, especially when you're dealing with so many different types of people. That's not realistic. Well, and there's so much emotion attached. You know, they're, they're poten- the, the, the potential for emotional... Is, is so great. And that's something else I wanted to say, and I think it relates to this topic very, very well, which is we have always said, you and I have always said, there is such a huge difference between sex and intimacy. Yeah. And while I completely agree with you, to a certain extent, <laughs> I shouldn't say completely agree with you. While I agree with the sentiment, I think that the two in practice are very, very hard to keep completely separately, especially when you are playing with people over and over and over again. I think you have to expect that a certain level of intimacy or a certain number or or percentage of emotion is going to creep into that relationship. And while that's not the worst thing in the world, as long as you can, you know, play some boundaries around it or at least communicate openly with all parties involved... Yeah, I mean, to say that the two are completely separate, I'm not sure I buy into that anymore. Well, we are sexual and emotional creatures, there is no doubt. Although I I still stand by my statement, I believe, and I'll take it a step further. Uh, Sex, intimacy, and love are not synonymous entirely. 
there are lots of gaps. Sure. So I just think we need to be more careful about how we navigate the emotional piece of our ethical non-monogamous lifestyle. I think often we speak with couples, for example, who they have been, it's a couple and they've been playing with the same couple over and over and over again for months. It's really the only couple they're engaged with, or at least they're engaged with that couple far more than other people. And they often come to us via our Sex on Your Terms platform and say, we're starting to develop some feelings or one of the partners is really developing feelings for the other partner. And it's like, you could write that. I could write that book for you. I know how this is all going to go because it's so difficult to keep emotions and sex completely separate yeah. and you know i think as long as all parties have a say in what's going on and that you can walk away from it if it's not right for your relationship you know you have to expect that those things are going to happen you can't be shocked by it no not only can you not be shocked by it i think you need to you need to react appropriately take it all in open-minded. Yeah, don't blow up the relationship over it. Yeah, I think everyone just needs to sit down and have a conversation and just decide where everyone is at emotionally. And the, the biggest thing is to be completely honest about your feelings. You've got to be because if you're not, it's not going to help the situation. It will inevitably hurt it. It will not help it. And not hiding things either. I think in this dynamic, if you had, for example, if she was sending you messages and you weren't sharing those messages with me and I had found out about it somehow, I would have been really, really hurt. Yeah, 100%. And you would never do that. But I think there is a tendency to try to protect your partner in these situations or to try to mitigate some of the risk of what's going to be the fallout by hiding things. And I just think that's so toxic. Well, that's the big thing. We, We didn't really touch on it is how much you and I really do share when it comes to these things like I would share all of the the messages with you and the pictures and all that stuff I knew all of it was happening and and what's interesting is that I obviously knew it was happening you knew it was happening and neither of us thought we should say anything about it so (laughs) no we did to each other to each other we did but we didn't we didn't act on it and what again it lends itself to it defines just what this lifestyle does for us as a couple. We are so willing to really kind of overlook certain things because of how it enhances our relationship almost to a detriment, right? This kind of situation really sheds some light on the fact that we need to pump the brakes a little bit and say, you know what, this might be more important than us benefiting from it. You know, I think that's really the biggest thing for me when it comes to this type of situation happening again, you need to weigh the, the pros and the cons a little bit more carefully. I completely agree with you. So on that note, if you guys have questions or comments on today's episode, you can email us at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. If you would like to discuss this topic with us on a Zoom call, and uh, we obviously do a lot of coaching on this specific topic, as well as many others related to non-monogamy, head on over to sexonyourterms.com. Dot com. You can see all of our services, pricing, etc. We would love to talk with you guys. This is really our, our passion, um, talking to people about non-monogamy and helping them find their path in all of it because we know how amazing it can be if you get on the right path and you do it the right way, the way that's beneficial to you as a couple. So sexonyourterms.com, we hope to see you there. And you can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at sexonyourterms and Instagram at sexonyourterms. And until next time, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms.